0: Hello and welcome to proud to be the show that highlights veterans, military personnel and family members published in proud to be writing by American warriors, a creative writing anthology that preserves and shares our nation's military experience through poetry, fiction, essay, interviews and photography. I'm your PTB host, Lisa Carrico, and our guest for this episode is Randy Brown. A former citizen, soldier, a poet, and a secret blogger. In 2011, he embedded with his former Iowa Army National Guard unit as a civilian journalist in Afghanistan. He is the author of the award-winning poetry collection, Welcome to FOB, Haiku, War Poems from Inside the Wire. He currently writes about military culture at RedBullRising.com and about military writing at AimingCircle.com under the name Charlie Sherpa. Randy has been published in eight of the nine Proud to Be volumes, and today we will explore some of his thoughts behind several of his PTB contributions. Randy, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: So I have read that you have 20 years of military service. What is your military background, and how did you find yourself serving in the military?
1: No, oh, that's a that's a great question. Uh, you know, I I actually grew up in in a, uh, a active duty Air Force family, moved around the world uh, uh, an awful lot. I like to say that my brother and I got the. Uh, benefits of both worlds in that my father mustered out of the, the Air Force about the time that I was uh, entering late grade school, early junior high. So I got the experience of uh, moving around and having to, uh, to parachute in and uh, meet new people and see new, new things and places. And at the same time, I got to uh, uh, graduate from the same high school that I started with, which wouldn't have been uh, something that would have likely happened uh, in, a, in an Air Force family. Uh, having had that experience I swore that I would never join the military uh, uh, however halfway through journalism school I uh, found my, myself trying to pay for it and uh, found out that Uncle Sam uh, uh, <clears throat> might offer some financial assistance and so I found myself uh, joining the army or the uh, with with the intent that maybe I would serve uh, uh, for uh, four years, four to eight years of uh, active duty after uh, after college, in order to repay that uh, that assistance. Uh, much to my surprise, uh, I, I went to school for my uh, country during uh, Operation Desert Storm. My girlfriend at the time was the one who deployed. She was a Missouri uh, National uh, Guard citizen soldier at the time. I uh, was off at uh, Army Communications School, uh, learning about radios and. Uh, and computers and photocopiers and and that sort of thing. Uh, and uh, by the time that was all over, the, uh, the army no longer needed my services on active duty. So I found myself uh, uh, applying to uh, become a uh, a National Guard uh, soldier, uh, a part-time uh, soldier. Uh, the old uh, joke is, uh, or one weekend a month, two weeks a year. And uh, I swore I would. Uh, uh leave iowa and uh, i didn't i instead became a uh small town uh, newspaper journalist uh, for a couple of years and then went into metro newspapering, and uh, then found myself writing uh for some national magazines that are published in iowa uh the latter the latter part of uh, that career was uh involved in uh in uh sharing with people how to make their homes and gardens better so uh i have a uh from from that uh, to the experience of uh, in my uh, army job of uh, being a communications person, uh, not in the sense of writing, but in the sense of uh, uh, learning how technology works and uh, uh, merging those two interests together, uh, I kind of became a, a technical writer. So somebody who uh, tells people, uh Uh, how best to do things, uh, the best practices and lessons learned. And and that's sort of the thread that goes throughout all of my work, uh, be it uh, journalistic or uh, literary, um, I, you know, I, I wrote poetry just like everybody writes poetry, uh, you know, back in, in grade school or junior high school or, or whatever. I won't say any of it was very good. Uh, but (laughs) I, I rediscovered, uh, I like to say a rediscovered poetry when I was at a uh, invited to a, a uh, kind of a writer's workshop for specifically for veterans and military families uh, hosted by a nonprofit called uh, Writing My Way Back Home. And it was uh, conducted on the campus of the University of Iowa, although uh, only tentatively uh, connected to the uh, to university programming. It was more through their uh, veterans, uh, uh, student veterans support uh, group there. Um and uh, the the format there was uh, they would have practicing artists, uh, poets, playwrights, writers. Uh, uh, they would invite them in, and and they'd give a presentation for, uh, let's say, fifty minutes, five zero minutes, and uh, then they'd uh, issue a, a writing prompt, and you could kind of. Go off from that, and they 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 were organized on modules. One person would talk. This is what poetry is. One person would say. This is what making a music video is. This is what uh, making a, uh, a writing a play is all about. Um, and uh, after the uh, the poetry session, I uh, uh, I had had an experience in Afghanistan that I was having a hard time uh, understanding or coming to grips with. It wasn't enough. Uh, it was. It wasn't enough material there. There wasn't enough there there to write a even a blog post about it. It wasn't. Uh, it wasn't an essay. It wasn't. It was, But I had. I had gone uh, to Afghanistan, and the person uh, who was in command of my former unit, uh, a, a man that I I respected and still feared, even though I was a civilian. Uh, instead of uh, greeting me with a handshake or a. Uh, or salute, which would have been inappropriate since I was no longer a, a member of the military. Uh, he gave me a hug, and I had wrestled with what exactly that meant. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was just a very surreal experience. And uh, later on, a, a, a poet friend of mine, uh, Jason Pudrier, uh, who is uh, part of the uh, Military Experience in the Arts uh, organization, as well as other other things, uh, now down in Lawton, Oklahoma. He's written a He's an Iraq war veteran and has published a collection called uh, Red Fields. Uh, Fantastic stuff, funny stuff, cartoony stuff sometimes. Uh, You know, shared with me that he uses uh, poetry as a means by which to to freeze a moment in time, to to observe that moment uh, from different aspects. That, you know, poetry allows for uh, yes and no answers, but also. answers that are not yes and no, not black and white. Uh, it allows for uh, multiple meanings and metaphors and, and and such and he so he that's the way he uses poetry and I found that that's indeed in retrospect what how I had first used this po- this poetry prompt because 10 minutes later in that uh, classroom at the University of Iowa, I found myself with what in effect was a finished poem and uh, never expected to write, more than one poem, but I did. Uh, never expected to write a, enough to uh, to share with others, uh, such as through the, uh, the the Proud to Be anthology series. Uh, but I did. Uh, didn't expect to write enough of those to work as a collection or even a chapbook, and but I did. And and each time uh, that kind of sharing happened, I was interested that my words not only documented. Uh, A personal experience and ways to think and regard about that that experience, but also when shared with others, then created opportunities for mutual empathy, mutual communication, ways, uh, opportunities to converse about what it meant uh, to me to be in the military, what it might have meant to others to be in the military, or to have experiences that were related to the military. I will say my my, my grand caveat is I think every voter, even if you are merely a voter or a taxpayer, you have an experience with the military. I think all of us have an experience with the military, regardless of whether we have served, we, we perceive we the military through popular culture, through the media. We have experiences when you start uh, going through genealogies of, oh yeah, uncle so-and-so was in the Navy or aunt so-and-so was in world war two as a nurse. Uh, it's amazing. The interconnections that we have, uh, as a society, as individuals with, with the military. So that's how I, I fell into the practice of, of poetry. I do joke that, uh, you know, I finally found a, a job that pays less than newspaper journalism <laughs> and that's uh, citizen soldier poet. Uh, but, uh, It's been a a, quite a rewarding experience for me.
0: Thank you for that um, overview from your family serving in the military uh, to to your service uh, and then finding your way to poetry. Uh, You did mention um, that you served in Afghanistan. Uh, In 2010, you were preparing for deployment to eastern Afghanistan as a member of the Iowa Army National Guards 2nd Brigade Combat Team, but after a paperwork snafu, you were dropped from the deployment list. You, however, decided to still go to Afghanistan, embedding with Iowa's Red Bull unit as a civilian journalist from May to June 2011. Could you tell our listeners why you decided to still go and what that experience was like as a journalist?
1: So, in 2008, uh, our unit first got wind that we might be deployable or deployed to what we thought then was Iraq. Uh, The missions changed. I'm sure this is uh, not going to be a surprise to anybody who has any experience with the military, but uh, direct experiences with the military, but. uh, it went from, uh, we're going to need uh, 3,000 people to be uh, prison guards in Iraq, uh, so you are not going to be doing the military job that you are trained to do. Uh, uh, it then changed to, we do need you to uh, act as, in your respective roles uh, uh, that you've been training to do as as communications people and medical people and infantry and, and cannoneers for the field artillery and all those, all those uh, great jobs. Uh, It then changed uh, nearly overnight uh, to uh, you're going to Iraq to you're going to Afghanistan. And so the uh, second brigade combat team, uh, 34th infantry division uh, was one of the first, in fact, one of three National Guard units that went to Afghanistan and did its Army job as a battle space owner, as a unit that was responsible for clearing, holding, and improving, and building specific provinces in the in the uh, the nation of Afghanistan. So it was a uh, it was an exciting time, uh, between, uh, 2008 and, uh, 2010, as I t- attempted and my, my wife, uh, attempted to get ourselves, uh, uh, legally, financially, spiritually ready for me to be gone for a year. Uh, interestingly, uh, my job within the brigade at the time involved, uh, kind of a blogging like experience, uh, kind of a daily or a regular, uh, uh, communications uh, role, uh, sharing uh, lessons and uh, techniques and information internally with the organization. Uh, uh, the blogging uh, was a very new uh, thing to the army at the time, and my bosses uh, told me that I needed to learn whatever I could, and uh, I learned best by doing. I And I found uh Uh, that I needed to actually play with uh, some of the software, some of the technologies, some of the tools in order to understand and make recommendations uh, to the command on uh, best policies and practices. Uh, Started a military blog, a mill blog, uh, in which I would document, uh, with an eye toward uh, operational and personnel security, but I would document my experiences in preparation for uh, Afghanistan. And uh, I needed a, uh, I, I needed a a name to do that because uh, I was also basically blogging uh, within my my day job within uh, uh, my role as a as a citizen soldier. So uh, so I created a blog. I created Red Bull Rising. The Red Bull is the symbol of the thirty uh, fourth Infantry Division out of uh, currently out of Iowa and Minnesota. I was writing uh, basically. Uh, trying to put down into words uh, my experiences because I I wanted to in retrospect or be able to in retrospect uh, let my children know who were too young at the time to realize what was happening what might have been so important that Daddy had to go off and and miss a year of their very young lives. Uh, Fast forward to about 10 days before uh, my status became federalized, before I became uh, mobilized. And uh, I, everybody was uh, supposed to uh, throw their uh, duffel bags on the truck and get ready to go. And the uh, first sergeant said, uh, hey, uh, Brown, uh, not you, not so fast. And uh, so I was packed and ready to go and uh, had to come home that, uh, that weekend and uh, tell my wife that uh, I was not going to Afghanistan, and she was a good sport. And uh, having been through all the training and all the preparation and all that, uh, decided that uh, I needed to go see things for myself. And uh, so I spent all of my wife's uh, airline miles and about uh, and purchased my own uh, body armor and uh, learned how to dress myself because uh, I couldn't wear camouflage in a in a war zone, which seems a little counterintuitive. Uh, and then found myself uh, embedding uh, for a few weeks uh, very late in the deployment uh, for the for my buddies but uh, still enough to get a taste of uh, what they had gone through and uh, I continued the blog uh, and surprised was surprised to find that I was writing maybe not so much for myself and my kids but for other s- spouses and others kids uh, I was as uh Under my pseudonym, I was contacted by many readers uh, numerous times saying, hey, I really appreciate uh, what you're telling us uh, and sharing with us. Because when my spouse gets home, uh, too tired to do anything after a day of Army training or uh, too tired to talk or communicate, I at least have a sense of what's going on in her life or his life or or whatever. And so I uh, joke that I, you know, I basically started writing for my kids, but ended up writing for others so
0: no that's really amazing and it's uh by having that blog and kind of doing that journalism that's um kind of this firsthand experience is definitely giving families and ch- their children um the opportunity to kind of see what it's really like versus what they might see on the national news the televised version of a war so that's really neat
1: i joke that uh, also uh not everything is a joke. I apologize for <laughs> saying that. I, I joke that. Uh, you know, I've I've taken on the uh, the mantle of uh, what I what I've heard from uh, a number of uh, English professors who say that you know there are only really two stories uh, in the world are possible. There are uh, you know a hero goes on a journey, and uh, the second one is a stranger comes to town. And really, as I look at it, a, a deployment or an enlistment is is really a combination of those two things. Uh, a hero goes on a journey, and a stranger comes to town. And I guess my uh, my addendum to uh, those is, uh, and they spend the rest of their lives trying to figure out what that all meant, and uh, particularly in a in an age, in a world in which uh, veterans and military families are, are, are struggling with trying to find uh, their own meaning out of their service in Af- Iraq and Afghanistan and other places. Uh, uh, certainly that that uh, that struggle is is real and and uh, and writing uh be it uh, journalism poetry journaling uh, is is one way to uh, to explore that to document and to to share that
0: yeah absolutely um before we explore a little more about how and when you started writing um, let's start off by having you read uh, which i think ties into what you just okay. said yeah uh, what sacrifice has been? Uh, a poem from Proud to Be, Volume One.
1: I always have to caveat uh, this one with: I was angry when I wrote this, um, and I've, uh, I've sometimes struggled not to sound angry when I'm when I'm reading it aloud. Uh, but you, you mentioned uh, earlier, you know how how people see. Uh, the military and and Iraq and Afghanistan, particularly uh, depicted in the media. And this poem was inspired by uh, a period of time after which I had dropped off the deployment. Uh, The Iowa Army National Guard kept me on state duty. Uh, So I I was working every day as a National Guardsman, not as a mobilized soldier, and would send me on trips down to Mississippi and to California, to monitor the few weeks of, tr- of training and validation that the Red Bull Brigade uh, was undergoing. So I found myself traveling in uniform through airports, which is kind of unique. Uh, many people thought I was de- deploying since I was in combat uniform, not in dress uniform. Uh, but, uh, you know, they'd, they'd see the Red Bull patch and they'd say, hey, you're from Iowa, or, you're from Minnesota, or they'd see my, my combat patch that had an airborne tab over it. I've never jumped out of an airplane, but my my combat patch has an airborne tab on it, and so they, people would... would Hey, what's it like to jump out of an airplane? And say, hey, I hope I never find out. Uh, particularly here, at the, here at the airport. So, uh, as I was traveling through airports, I would I would see and hear and, and people wanting to to buy me things or thank you for your service. Or I would see uh, CNN and do the doing these uh, short little uh, uh, snippet tributes to uh, to service members who had uh, given their lives in, in sacrifice. And so that's where uh, this poem comes from. What sacrifice has been. In airports, well-traveled souls confuse boots with heroes and bias sandwiches while flat-talking boxes buzz with bullet lists and mugshots of the fallen. Three second shrines to soldiers they will never know, like you. This war is on us, they want to say. Thanks for your service, have a nice day. They elevate our routine dead with casual regard and separate us from them with unsustaining praise. They do not grasp our names are found on metals and on stones, and on the lips of friends who've seen what sacrifice has been.
0: Thank you for that. Um, the words that really stand out the most to me are they elevate out routine dead with casual regard. Um, so you kind of set that up nicely at the beginning. Um, would you mind telling our listeners why you wrote this poem, um, or what you yeah. hope that people get from from reading it? What it means to you?
1: Yeah, the it's always a it's always interesting to figure out when to uh, tell people what, or or even if to tell people what was on your mind when you, when you wrote it or what the experience is from. I understand that poetry is not necessarily journalism, although there's a wonderful concept called the poetry of witness that, uh, and I believe I fall within that uh, kind of category. I'm I'm trying to uh, share experiences, uh, you know, that are based in, in fact, through, through poetry. However, not every poem that I write is necessarily a specific experience. This one is obviously a kind of in, an aggregation of uh, multiple experiences, both uh, lived experience myself and, and, uh, through the, uh, the stories of, of others and, uh, and other, uh, depictions. Um, that said the, uh, the one challenge I think that is shared by uh, many modern, any modern uh, veteran is, uh, what do you say when somebody thanks you for your service? And uh, I, ten years later after retirement, I still struggle, struggle with that. I struggle to know whether it's to struggle to uh, decide whether it's a good thing to uh, to uh, have a. Uh, you know, 10% off my cup of coffee when, I, when I'm wearing my uh, hat that identifies my, me as a veteran. Uh, I, I want people to have an interaction uh, and a positive one and a, and a conversation with veterans about, you know, what it meant. Uh, maybe uh, all parties uh, would do well to uh, remember that those conversations uh, cannot be done in 10 seconds or less and uh, cannot be reduced to a bumper sticker and really, if if we're, we are to have a meaningful conversation, uh, we need to take the time to uh, listen to each other in conversations, much like this one. So... Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I was that. just
0: going to ask, um, I had this conversation actually in our first episode uh, with Jay Harden, mm-hmm. uh, and he grapples with the thank you for your service, and he's written about that. And I feel like that's a very um, common theme um, throughout Proud to Be. Was, you know, there's so many different, themes that are related to the military experience, Um, like you were mentioning, being the hero versus the stranger and how to to wrap your mind around that once you get home and then how to have those engagements with with folks. Um, So I know for Jay, he served in the Vietnam War. He felt like nobody ever asked him about his service. It's easier sometimes for people not to ask because maybe they don't know how to ask or uh, they don't know how they'll handle that um, conversation or the things that they might hear. So for you, do you feel like people have asked you about your service outside of interviews? Um, and do you feel like people have those honest conversations with you about that experience?
1: I, I, I think they can have honest conversations if they are prepared to have honest, if they are prepared to listen, if they are prepared to make physical space, mental space, emotional space to, to have those conversations. Uh I, I find it interesting, it, the thought just occurred to me, the phrase, thank you for your service is not a question. You know, thank you for your service is a declarative statement that, that really is designed to, to cut off further conversation. Uh, the questions that are asked, you know, in the uh, checkout uh, line at uh, the grocery store or whatever, uh, that are just as dangerous or demeaning or as uh, explosive uh, potentially as thank you for your service. The question uh, would be, have you ever killed someone? Uh, which is a, a phrase that even I, you know, who was a communications guy, uh, you know, I, I ran the radios. Uh, but uh, I got that one morning in, at 4 a.m. The, and the taxi driver asked me on the way to the airport and it just blew me away. Uh, that uh, that this individual you know I, I, I tried to react in a constructive uh, positive way but how do you educate someone that that was really an inappropriate question to ask and this is why uh, so uh, so again uh, looking for ways and they're not going to there's no easy answer. There's no right answer. I can't give you the bumper sticker in, in, in response or offer, offer listeners the, the, the bumper sticker, uh, according to, you know, to Randy Brown. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> you know, to, to, to look for ways to engage family members or friends and, Hey, you know, I'm, I am here. I want to listen, uh, you know, without judgment. I, I want to, uh, understand what, what your feelings are about, what's happening in, in the places that you served, uh, or about your service itself, uh, you know, look for those opportunities. And, uh, uh, I think everybody uh, would benefit.
0: I agree with that. Um, I have a father who's a Vietnam veteran and it's taken a very long time for him to open up. Um and I'm sure my questions when I was little are much different than they are now. Um <laughs> so <laughs> um,
1: well and it's been an, an interesting experience for my own father, uh and I uh uh you know, he's had occasion to to share little dribs and drabs, uh, snippets of uh uh family history as I've tried to figure out exactly where where he was, when he was, what he was doing. Uh and, and whatnot. Uh, at the same time, it was through poetry that I realized that I had an experience with the military too. That uh, one of the poems that uh, people have most responded to uh, and has been anthologized a couple of times involves uh, my being on the playground in second grade. I don't remember much from second grade. I remember this white hot uh, when I moved to uh, the neighborhood, a uh, few weeks were left in the school year. It was a new neighborhood. I was trying to meet people. And I said, uh, you know, in a military town that my family and I were in the Air Force and second graders being very literal said, there's no possible way that you could be in the Air Force. And I didn't understand what that meant. I did under I later understood that, yeah, military families identify themselves as We are in the, we, not just the service member, we are in the military and that's, you know, that code then unpacks to mean, well, we move around a lot and we, we have experiences in different places and we have uh, strange mixtures of, uh, uh, Japanese, Korean, and American colonial furniture in our house. And that may look strange to, you know, the neighborhood kids as they come over. <laughs> uh, but, uh, you know, so that, that kind of reinforced my, my, uh, suspicions or my, my premise that every one of us has an experience with the military, even if we never raise our right hand and, and, uh, and enlist. So, yeah,
0: I, um, I kind of have that similar experience. We did not move around. I've never I've never served, but as a little girl, uh, there were Japanese tapestries all over our house and these really amazing Japanese dolls that uh, were in a plastic container that right. I somehow figured out how to take off. Nope. And I would <laughs> play with these dolls. I would try to comb their hair, which it's all like together. <laughs> Um, and I would get in so much trouble, like. but it also really, um, as a person, made me really intrigued by this other world. And I actually, um, in my, I guess that was my my 30s, I did go over and teach English in Japan. So oh, these wonderful. dolls had such like a profound impact on me about wanting to experience another part of the world. And I may not have felt that way if, if my dad hadn't brought all these things back uh, with him, um, from Vietnam. Um, is, he had a stay over in Japan after
1: right. an injury. So, that is, yeah, that is awesome. Final, <laughs> final, final Sherpa family story, uh, or Brown family story. Uh, we were stationed in Japan, uh, the, the family at one point, uh, we moved, we, the family story goes, I would have been kindergarten first grade, uh, era, uh, but, uh, sold all the household goods. We, we could, uh, shipped over uh, to uh, to uh, I, I believe Yokota, uh, Japan or Yokota Air Force ba- Air Base, and uh, the reaction there was, uh, hey, "Greetings, Brown family. We're glad you're here. Why are you here? Uh, we, <laughs> the unit is moving back in eight months, so we had uh, completely dislocated ourselves to uh, to Japan." In the expectation that we were going to be there for four or more years and instead 11 months later we were shipping back to the united states as a family with all that kind of uh uh dislo- literally dislocation uh mm-hmm. all that shuffling around uh and to this day uh, uh my mother uh, still uh has some very uh choice things to say about uh uh, all of the things that were were lost <laughs> on that uh, that move and uh, and whatnot. So uh, it can be very defining as a, as a kid, I guess is the the, the final moral, moral to the story.
0: Um let's get back to your writing.. Um, you did mention early on that, um, you know, after years of writing and editing for newsstand consumer magazines, um, concurrent with your career in the National Guard in Iowa, you mentioned that you rediscovered poetry. Uh, at a conference, a writing conference, a a workshop. Um, So you've already read one of your poems. I wanted to have you read another one. Um, A radio telephone operator writes haiku from proud to be volume four. Uh, this poem feels different from what Sacrifice has been, where you you did mention that's a bit more of an angry poem. Uh, this one is perhaps a bit more playf- playful, and it's a haiku. Um, so would you mind reading the poem and telling us a little bit about it and why you started writing haikus and incorporating humor as a way to tell your military stories?
1: Sure. Uh, I have to... Uh... So I, I, I like to say that I, I I write poetry or some poetry to try to trick my buddies in the army and elsewhere into who say they don't read poetry into reading poetry. And one of the ways that I've done so is is I, I like to say that I've I try to subvert the haiku form, uh, Lots of people seem to encounter haiku in grade school and junior high, and are familiar with well. It has to have five syllable a line of five syllables followed by a line of seven syllables, followed by another line of five syllables, and it has to do have something to do with the natural world. And you know, I, there's a reason why my many people lose their love of poetry because uh, <laughs> even from a from a uh, an early age, we kind of get the the rules of poetry kind of beaten into us. However, they do at a very uh, fundamental and visceral level. Uh, people seem to understand what a haiku is, and it is compelling it must hit some part of the reptilian brain or something. When somebody tells you something is a haiku, Americans at least immediately start wanting to count syllables, even though syllable <laughs> count really isn't necessary for, for real, for quote, real haiku. Uh, but they start counting five, seven, five to see whether you made it. So that is one of my techniques into trying to get people to, to read poetry who say that they don't, uh, also having, uh, some amount of, uh, you know, my, my, my personal theory of, uh, theory of humor is that all humor, all jokes, uh, spring from a surprise. Uh, and that a haiku is, is uh, obviously supposed to have a, a, a dual meaning or a, a dual relationship with the inner and outer uh, worlds. And uh, the, that recognition is, is, a, is a surprise. So all of that said making a very simple thing, very complicated. Thank you. Uh, <laughs> it, then I have attempted and, and really fell, fallen into a form in which um, I allow myself to consider the military experience from different viewpoints. A radio telephone operator writes IQ is, is very close to my own personal experience. I worked with radios. I worked with computers but I've written other sets of haiku and I typically write about five haiku and put them under a title. Typically haiku are not titled. Typically haiku do not come in sets. These are things that I've practices that I've kind of incorporated into my own practice because five, the number five uh, seems to be enough uh, or sufficient to allow the reader to understand that I am considering this particular point of view or persona within the military experience. Trying to do syllable count, trying to adhere to that that strict grade school uh, interpretation of what a haiku is, makes uh, army uh, nomenclatures, army names, army jargon uh, difficult to fit. And so an OE254 is a particular type of uh, radio antenna that uh, uh, I learned to erect and take down. Uh, it takes a couple of people usually. Uh, it looks like a dandelion uh, kind of uh, bursting with uh, seeds at the, at the top of it when you get the whole thing out. and it's a, So it's a specific type of radio antenna. I could not typographically write OE254 in the correct way and have a reader who is not familiar with army jargon understand that, oh, it's he's not saying OE254, he's saying OE254. So typographically, I know listeners won't be able to see this, but typographically, trying to translate the military experience to non-military personnel or people who have not served in my version of the, the military in my era of the military might recognize. I also need to explain that, uh, uh, tactical operations center talk, uh, is, is pronounced. So you'll hear that. And in one of the haiku, you'll hear the phrase Lima Charlie, which is the radio phonetic way of saying, The letters L, as in Lima, and C, as in Charlie. And that is code for loud and clear on a radio conversation. So a radio telephone operator writes haiku. OE254s spring up like dandelions. Time to jump the talk. Across the spectrum... Our radios skip in sync, frequency hopping. Listen, and you'll hear sounds of wind and trees over. Dark rush of white noise. Use an eraser or toothpaste to clean the crud from points of contact. Last calling station. I read you Lima Charlie, welcome to my world. I hope that, I I know haiku uh, uh, is often a different experience uh, in the, uh, on on the stage as opposed to on the page. Uh, But uh, I hope that uh, listeners get a sense that uh, each one of those haiku are considering the, the lived experience of a radio telephone operator. Uh, in a slightly different way. And hopefully each one is a a little surprising nugget uh, of of information as well.
0: Uh, So I promise you, I did not try to count syllables while you were reading. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, And also for me,
1: I, I I didn't see any any any, any figures uh, coming out, but I uh, I've, they had, were under I've had buddies do that to me, so uh, <laughs> so thank you for that.
0: I would have done that under the table. Uh, <laughs> that's how I used to count math in elementary school. If there I have to admit, I didn't want anybody to know so I would do it under the table. Um, so this this um, haiku for me, uh, you talking about radars, uh, something that I had discovered when talking to my father. Uh, My grandfather served in World War II, and after that, he worked for General Electric, and he actually worked on radars. And my father, when he uh, served, he was drafted uh, for the Vietnam War, and uh, he actually built the radars and moved them around that my grandfather had Actually worked on so wow. it was, I believe the MPQ four so oh, wow. I thought that was such an yeah. interesting tie-in. But that was what my dad did in Vietnam was he would build these um, radar towers.
1: Excellent. <laughs> that is such an awesome story and and a and a, and a wonderful connection that I I, <laughs> I and and the idea that uh, you know in the National Guard at least in the uh, the 1990s uh, when you know it was the first part of my experiences there, uh, we often had the hand-me-down uh, tools and technologies. So uh, I, I learned on a, a Vietnam era radio. Uh, and uh, when we uh, would mobilize and, and uh, do training with active duty units, uh, they would uh, drive up in their with their digital radios and, and we'd say, well, how do we talk to each other? And uh, they would have no idea on how we were supposed to communicate National Guard to active duty army. Uh, using the same airwaves and frequencies, but not, you know, not having the same uh, tin cans of communication. So, uh, <laughs> so I, I feel a connection to your story and that, uh, yeah, I, I got to use what, what they used.
0: That's, that's awesome. That's awesome. Um, I always love synchronicity. So um, when you presented that you wanted to read that uh, poem, I was all about it. So excellent. Yeah. Um, well, how did you find proud to be, and what about the anthology inspired you to submit not only to Volume One but to keep on submitting?
1: Well, the the thing that most motivated me after uh, after publication in Volume One was it's like eating potato chips you can't you can't just do it uh, once you got to try again. Mm-hmm. I you know I mentioned earlier you know I never expected to write poetry but I did, and I never expected to write enough to share, uh, but I did. And, and so I, I guess I've come come to a kind of a personal theory of, of you know, it's a journey, not a destination, that uh, as I, that people may come back from a deployment or people may retire after a military career and try to figure out what, okay, what did that all mean? And writing is a way to explore those things and after a little while, you get to a certain point where it's not just writing for you; it's maybe writing for somebody else. And in my case, as a as a journalism major, you know, I I, I that was kind of on board already. That was kind of firmware in my my head that you, know, you don't write until you, unless you want to share it. Well. For my purposes originally, I was sharing with my family, and then I was sharing with my readers, and then okay, well, if this poetry thing is a thing, maybe I should be sharing it with, seeking to share those those items with others as well. And so, the first uh, submissions that I uh, I made to Proud to Be, which were wonderfully ex- accepted uh, and published, uh, I felt validated because I'm I'm a an old you know I'm a print guy, and I. I joke that I I knew I was going to be a dinosaur when I majored in newspaper journalism back in the 1980s. Uh, I just never expected to live long enough to actually see the asteroid hit. Uh, you know, at the same at the same time, there is something validating about seeing your name and your byline in print, and there is something validating, very validating, as a poet to see your words in print, and then maybe even get you know. Some prize money or or paid, you know that, that that those those are steps along the way to. Uh, you're not just a a veteran. You're a veteran writer. You're a veteran poet, or as I'd like to swap it around, you're a poet veteran. You are a writer veteran. And then maybe some of us get to a point where we're almost kind of like semi-professional about it. Where maybe we sometimes get paid to do, to to write poetry. Sometimes maybe we write enough to share in a couple a, car, a couple of poems or a chapbook, uh, uh, a, a collection, an anthology, what what have you. So uh, I see proud to be as being a particularly influential and important. Uh, factor in the, let's call it the veterans literary space or, or some fancy word like that, that here's a place that is welcoming to both emerging beginning and experienced writers uh, who are trying new things and trying to get out new ideas and emotions. Uh, You know, it's not for therapeutic purpose necessarily. I say, Writing can be therapeutic, but it ain't therapy. If you, you know, if you need mental health uh, resources, seek mental health resources, you know, take care of yourself first. Um, Writing can be a component of that, but only if it is done under the supervision of people who are not me. But at the same time, if you're writing for literary merit, writing for the joy of writing, writing for the validation of writing, writing for the opportunities to create something in a conversation with with listeners and readers, uh, you know that's that's what's motivating me. So, I submitted a couple of things to Proud to Be. I love publishing. I'm a newspaper and magazine guy, and that that Proud to Be anthology is done by young people who are learning that business uh, is validating to me in in a whole different way. So uh, as an artist, however, what I've found that, okay, I submitted, let's say, a a set of haiku to Proud to Be. They graciously accepted that piece that I read for you. Um, my impulse then is to never send them another haiku that I want to push myself to try new things and to try to get at experiences through other ways of writing and communication. And so there have been times that I have sent them sent proud to be nonfiction. There have been times that I've written, I've, I've submitted poetry. There's been times that I've, I've, I even submitted photography one time when when I was inspired by the example of other veterans and military family members who were who were bringing their talents and voices to Proud to Be. That inspired me to try something new, and try something different. And I am uh, very grateful that those experiments, uh, the editors of each each volume, have found something in what I've done to uh, to be of such merit as to, to be included in their, in their uh, publications. So, uh, I can't say enough about, uh, about the, the proud to be, I, I hope that y'all publish another, you know, 10 years, uh, or more. Uh, it is truly something unique. And I watched this veterans literary space, uh, in my role at the aiming circle, uh, trying to share with others, you know, Not only how can you write, but how can you get published and proud to be as one of uh, three or four premier, um, we call them markets, markets for, uh, for writing by uh, and about veterans and military families.
0: Awesome. Thank you. uh,
1: I'm, Um, I'm Randy Brown, Charlie Sherpa, and I've, I (laughs) endorse this message.
0: (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, I love that Proud to Be um, is very inclusive. It's not only the military personnel and veteran experience, but it also invites families to to share their stories and their experiences. And I love that Proud to Be has been uh, a creative engine for you and it's motivated you to to try new things and to get creative. So um, nothing is better than seeing stories through, Different creative ways um, in letting our uh, contributors explore with that and tell their stories the way that they would like to, whether it is through a photograph or an essay or a poem, um,
1: or an interview like this one. Or
0: that an even interview. somebody
1: who 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 says that they don't have a direct experience with uh, with the military can can still, you know, they reach out to uh, 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 the uh, you know a family member or or whatnot and 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 have something uh submittable to uh to proud to be so yeah
0: absolutely so your journalism poetry and essays um as we've talked about have appeared both in print and online um you've already talked about the um the aiming circle right was or the red bull rising well uh, it,
1: it, it the aiming circle uh, stemmed from from things that developed out of Red Bull Rising. Uh, I, I continue to write about citizen soldier culture uh, at the Red Bull uh, the, you know, Red Bull Rising. Uh, the thirty fourth Infantry Division continues to march on and do uh, great things in Africa and Afghanistan. And uh, they had a unit who was in in Kuwait uh, recently that uh, suddenly got a. Got a message to move to uh, Kabul uh, International Airport uh, to help out uh, with the situation that's developing uh, and and uh, potentially coming to a close there. Uh, so uh, I, I still uh, keep a hand in there when I can, uh, but the aiming circle uh, is where you know I started writing about poetry and where to get published and all that at Red Bull Rising, and it made more sense to kind of try to create a uh, a more uh, a more concentrated. Uh, focus uh, over at the aiming circle. The an aiming circle is a device that is uh, used to uh, uh, to help a an artillery team uh, position its gun, its position, its weapon. Uh, so, I, in a similar uh, kind of framing, uh, the aiming circle is a group of people, a circle of people that attempts to uh, help. Uh, other practitioners, writing practitioners particularly, uh, find ways to uh, publish and uh, share their stories.
0: That's great. Uh, I love that you are working on getting published, but also helping other veterans um, find All a of place us, to... Yeah.
1: All of us is smarter than one of us. And so uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I do try to... The, the through line of my entire career seems to be uh, find out what works and then share it with others.
0: Absolutely. Um, so with that, um, you found yourself writing under the name Charlie Sherpa when addressing <laughs> veterans topics. So how, how did that all come about?
1: The origin story to Charlie Sherpa. Okay. Yes. Uh, uh, call signs are not a thing in the Army. Uh, I've done some uh, technical writing for uh, and blogging for the U.S. Air Force or, or parts of uh, contractors uh, for the U.S. Air Force. And it amazed me when working with Air Force uh, types that they would uh, uh, call themselves, uh, well, this is uh, Pinto and this is uh, Jimbo. And this is, uh, you know, they, they all had a nickname and nobody identified themselves by uh, by rank. And it was, uh, in some ways aggravating as a, as a journalism type, trying to get somebody's name when they, they only, it, it's like, uh, you remember the movie Top Gun? It's like mm-hmm. everybody, ta- Hey Maverick, Hey Iceman, Hey, Hey Goose, Hey, you know, whatever. Well, Sherpa, uh, that said in the, in, in, uh, in the Air Force community, at least in the fighter community, uh, call signs seem to be assigned uh, based upon a story or an anecdote in which the individual somehow screwed up and made a mistake, or made it made themselves a laughing stock, or whatever. It often, sometimes it's 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 often a, a an embarrassing story. So that said, in a uh, during one uh, training exercise, I was assigned to collect everybody's uh, handguns and sidearms and uh, rifles to, uh, turn in at the end of the training exercise and, uh, somebody turned and I thought it would look pretty, pretty kick a, you know, I, 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 I had all these weapons on me and I'm just, I'm just, <laughs> I'm loaded for bear. Right. I, I, I think I look pretty masculine and macho and somebody said, Oh, you're the weapons Sherpa. And, uh, I, you know, I, I, suddenly saw myself in the, in through others' eyes and realized that I, I must've looked quite comical with all the, you know, there was, I, I had things hanging out of cargo pockets and, you know, there was no way that I was, I looked more like a clown than a, than a warrior. <laughs> and, uh, so Sherpa stuck with my, stuck in my, my mind. Uh, so when it came a time to sign up for my, my first blog on blogger.com, And they needed a name, and I didn't want to be, I I couldn't afford to let people know my real name. So writing under a pseudonym has a long and and, uh, proud history in in journalism. Just ask Mark Twain, just ask Nellie Bly, just ask, you know, whoever else, uh, you know. Uh, who don't, uh, or George Orwell, you know, all of these people are, so I, I picked Sherpa and they field another required field was a first name. And so, you know, I remembered, uh, you know, Charlie Foxtrot being a, a way to say something, uh, not so, uh, uh, nice, uh, in, in, uh, the military. Uh, so Charlie came to mind. So, uh, Charlie Sherpa is the pseudonym that I wrote under, uh at night, and Randy Brown was the name that I wrote about, uh, wrote during the day. And uh, I went about uh, probably six months before uh, somebody was reading something uh, in my unit and realized that I was writing about something, that, or that Sherpa was writing about something that only Randy would have known and uh, put two and two together. So it, uh, it gets very interesting sometimes who I am depends on who you are, depends where we are, depends on who's buying drinks. Uh, It is very helpful to me, however, much like it was helpful back in the days of wearing my uniform. If I got, when I was in the army national guard, if my house if my phone rang and somebody asked me for me by rank, I immediately knew, you know, that, that could focus me where, you know, where's this person coming from? Similarly, when I'm at a writing convention or a conference or, or publishing conference or whatever, uh, when somebody greets me as Sherpa, I immediately know, you know, who I am to them. And it can be, it can really make communications, uh, can streamline communications, but Sherpa continues to be kind of a, a, uh, an open source uh, pseudonym uh, that it's helpful that uh, to separate uh, my uh, my civilian writing and my uh, my military flavored writing. Uh, there are other Randys Brown out there, uh, so that it becomes a byline I- issue as well. So having Sherpa around continues to be useful, and he continues to refer to himself in third or first person depending on which one I am. So. I hope that clarifies or confuses things sufficiently.
0: <laughs> uh, so I have noticed with proud to be, uh, if I, I I have noticed that you have submitted under Randy Brown and Charlie Sherpa. So for a little bit there, I was like, I got to figure this out.
1: <laughs> well, and that I I hope that doesn't uh, I, uh, I hope that's not a reason uh, perhaps that editors. I, you know, selected certain work and not others when not realizing that, you know, it was the same guy writing under, I I think all that came from was, uh, I, I garbled which email address I used to uh, submit one year. And uh, so, uh, so yes, I I guess you can say that both of us have been published at proud to be both Randy and Charlie.
0: You're, you're both well-represented throughout the Proud to Be anthology series. <laughs>
1: oh, that's wonderful.
0: <laughs> Randy, you are currently the poetry editor at the Literary Journal As You Were, published by the nonprofit Military Experience in the Arts and involved with the Military Writers Guild and their anthology, Why We Write. You were so graciously a judge in the photography category of Proud to Be Eight, Uh, From everything that you've already talked about, you're very passionately involved in the art of military writing, both as a contributor and a supporter. So to you, why are military-based publications so important?
1: Well, again, uh, what separates uh, Proud to Be from other efforts is that there is a regular, uh, consolidated uh, curation of uh, writing and, and welcoming uh, curation of of writing from uh, from everyone uh, involved in in the, the military or involved directly or indirectly with the military, military experience in the arts uh, attempts to have a similar philosophy. Um, our publication is is online only, and we tend to focus on the. Uh, the beginning end of the spectrum, uh, although we do accept, uh, submissions from, from, uh, experienced, uh, writer veterans as well, uh, in that, uh, we're often trying to convince people that it's okay to write poetry or that it's okay to write stories. And we will even kind of conduct virtual, uh, mentorship, uh, on, on a case by case basis, but, uh, kind of a virtual workshop with, uh, writer veterans that are who are just starting out uh we feel that it's our role to to kind of encourage people to get get them over that first hump and that once they get the hey that was really great then then it's all uh, you know it's katie bar the door let's let you know where where can we send you elsewhere to uh to move forward in your own uh journey as a as a writer veteran again as, as codified and and consolidated at the aiming circle uh you know i i look for uh, that spectrum of markets uh, to which uh, writer veterans can can some can have positive experiences a, about uh, getting published and sharing their stories, uh, regardless of what genre, what mode of writing they're they're uh, exploring. So there are markets out there that I can re- recommend: Veterans Writing Project, Military writing, uh, Experience in the Arts, Warrior Writers. Um, each have different ways of doing, uh, business. There are also what I'm, what I'm excited about in my own publishing life are those publications that, uh, don't solely define themselves around the, or don't focus themselves solely around the, uh, military experience. So, uh, there is a kind of progressive, moderate progressive, uh, publication called the Wrathbearing Tree. Uh, that has been very established by veterans, uh, but also, you know, published on topics uh, other than uh, uh, the military. Uh, although I, 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 I touch back to uh, something that Jason Poudrier uh, once told me as well. Uh, and this was advice that, uh, that had been uh, given to him by, uh, by a mentor uh, that, you know, he, he wondered out loud, uh, when do I stop writing about war? And the answer back was, uh, perhaps you will find that no matter what you are writing, uh, even if it's a children's story or even if it's a you know a screenplay or whatever, even if it seems to have nothing to do with the military, you may still be writing about war. And so uh, uh, when I when I so I see proud to be as as uh, that upper middle kind of kind of achievement where people. Uh, can be published and feel that validation and hopefully not only submit again next year, but also to, to proud to be, but also to be even more expansive in their, their vision for where, where can they submit their work, where can they share their work uh, in, in order to, uh, to make those conversations happen, not just within the stereotypical military family, But with everybody who is a stakeholder in our society, be they voter or taxpayer,
0: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And just so our listeners know, uh, Jason has been published in Proud to Be, and I've had the honor of meeting (laughs) him at one of our readings. So if you are listening, Jason, um, I will be calling you about uh, an episode of Proud to Be the podcast. I feel like you're summoning this next uh, interview and it needs to be with Jason. (laughs) And
1: and that brings that that brings up a, 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 an interesting point that, that, I have heard through other people, authors from different genres or different lived experiences whatever, that the, the war writing community, there is a mutually supportive, welcoming group, tribe, if you will, of uh, fellow travelers who are, are more than interested in doing what they can to help others find their, find their way and to, and to be helped. So uh, I, find, I, I hear that that's unique to this little niche of a niche of a niche of a niche uh, but uh, or somewhat unique. The fact that uh, we all begin to know the same people and have, have stories and experiences, that's that's great. Uh, please pass along my regards to Jason, if and when you <laughs> talk to him. Uh, he it's knows me by both cute. Randy Brown and S. Sherpa.
0: And I think there's something to that. We host, well, pre-COVID, we would host an in-person Mm. Uh, proud to be reading in St. Louis and You know, our contributors are from all over the nation. um, And I love that people come from Oklahoma and California and from the East Coast. And um, after the reading, we all get together and have dinner together. And um, you can really see that warrior writers camaraderie. Everybody's so excited about what they've listened to and how that affected them. And those conversations are always so rich and you can definitely see that connection. Excellent. <laughs> okay. Let's explore one more poem. Uh, okay. It's called Stan." It first ah. appeared in PTV3. Uh, would you mind reading a stanza? I'll let you pick which stanza from the poem okay. and what you hope people get from reading it and more generally uh, what you hope others gain from reading your proud to be contributions and military related writings
1: okay I'm gonna cheat and I'm gonna read two stanzas but they're not together so okay. I will read the first and the last stanza uh, this uh, that will help place it into context but you you merely need to know that even though I am retired from the Iowa Army National Guard I live approximately three miles away from the the concentration the the headquarters of the Iowa Army National Guard and that that means that uh, even though I live in a, a small little town, growing suburb, whatever you want to call us, um, I regularly hear helicopters and, uh, and, and rifle shots uh, uh, from uh, the back of my house. So, Suburbistan. The crumple and pop of small arms fire arrives to the sliding door I have cracked open to the spring as I breathe in the earthy black steam of liquid breakfast. The sound of freedom, I mutter happily to the trees. An old joke from when we first moved to Suburbistan. And the last stanza. Odysseus had himself lashed to the mast and told his men to plug their ears with wax to avoid the siren's call. Instead, I stand on my deck, listening, sipping, wearing a bathrobe, wishing that I could grab my musket and run to the sound of the guns one last time.
0: I feel uh, that this poem is something that military personnel, especially that's all active duty, might feel, where it sounds like you are adjusting to the life in the suburbs and there is still this draw to the experience that you once had um, serving. Would that be true?
1: You know, there are, you know, everybody joins the military for a different reason. Few of us uh, can say after the fact what, what those reasons were or whether those reasons stayed the same. Uh, you know, we see in popular culture with uh, uh, movies like The Hurt Locker, uh, which involves an EOD, uh, an explosives uh, expert uh, who comes home uh, from a deployment, and and you know, m- apparently misses one interpretation, misses the adrenaline, the, misses the 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 heightened sense of reality, the hyper reality of of being deployed. Uh, I've had readers uh, uh, respond to Suburbistan as in that kind of mode. That yeah, they they miss the excitement, they miss the the sense of purpose, they miss the ser- the. The, the shared camaraderie of serving in a uniform and serving serving toward a, a specific mission uh in the national guard you know the the running to the sound of the guns the grabbing the musket has uh, a as a particular mythology mythology uh many of my fellow veterans myself included find validation and purpose outside of uniform in the forms of community service or church service. Uh, I think it's a, it's a Project Rubicon that is a, a, is a group of uh, uh, veterans who are responders to hurricanes and floods and tornadoes and other situations. Uh, you know, there, there, is, there is meaning to be found and meaning to be made outside of a uniform and outside of, and a community to be found and whether, whether or not you're, whether you're finding that community in in words, such as the war writers, uh, you know, movable feast that uh, travels around uh, if you find uh, or, or in the, in hard copy and in print and, and proud to be, uh, or if you find that in uh, helping out to, uh, Uh, helping administer vaccinations or helping to uh, uh, collect uh, blood during blood drives or uh, manning polls uh, during elections or joining groups uh, that, uh, you know, that run together or uh, uh, respond to emergencies. Those types of experiences are still out there for, uh, for veterans and to military, you know, we make our own stories, we make our own meaning. And uh, so that's why Suburbistan, I, I think, uh, holds a special place in, in my uh, poet's heart, uh, that that really captures the, uh, the experiences I've had in, okay, well, hearing others are, uh, are serving, how can I serve?
0: Absolutely. Um, Randy, before closing, is there anything more you would like to add? Um, maybe what's in store for the future? Our listeners can learn more about you and your work or what you hope that people experience when they're reading your work
1: uh, well I, I hope that people get to read my work in the upcoming uh, volume of uh, Proud to Be uh, I'm, I've got fingers crossed that uh, I may have made a, made the cut on on another one uh, I, they can check uh, my, my poetry out at uh, fobhaiku.com uh, which is where I uh, occasionally post uh, uh, new work and news about uh, uh, what's been published and what's what's upcoming. Uh, I'm I'm experimenting with a the uh, uh, potential chapbook, book, which is a uh, back in my day uh, we used to make these uh, chapbooks books of uh, collections of small mini collections of poetry by. Uh, and prose, uh, by, uh, running a photocopier and a stapler and, you know, making, making zines out of things. Uh, publishing has uh, small, small press publishing has gotten to the, to the point where you can make a pretty professional product, uh, using print on demand, uh, technology. And I'm hoping that uh, by the end of the calendar year, at least, uh, there will be a, uh, a chapbook, uh, with some kind of poetry experiments, things that wouldn't, uh, are too small for, uh, and maybe too weird uh, for submission to uh, Proud to Be and other, other other markets. Uh, but that uh, is tentatively titled "So Frag and So Bold," short poems, aphorisms, and other wartime fun. So uh, again, trying to use humor as a way to uh, to share uh, military and other experiences. So.
0: Awesome. Thank you. Uh, Lots of great work coming out, Randy. I really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, Thank you for all that you do, not only in supporting and promoting Proud to Be, but in bridging the civilian military
1: gap. Well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. If
0: you would like to read Randy's or shall we say Sherpa's PTB pieces, You can purchase volume one through nine of proud to be at mohumanitiesorg backslash veterans. This podcast is brought to you by the Missouri humanities. Please help us share these stories by sharing episodes with friends, family, and, or on your social media platforms. If you are listening on an app, don't forget to follow us and leave a review. I'm Lisa Carrico, and we hope you will tune in for future episodes of Proud to Be as we interview PTV contributors to discover the stories behind their PTV contributions.